Section 24 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6, by various authors. Section 24. Selected Poems by William Brown, 1591-1643. Among the English poets, fatuous for their imaginative interpretation of nature, high rank must be given to William Brown, who belongs in the list headed by Spencer, and including Thomas Lodge, Michael Drayton, Nicholas Brayton, George Wither, and Phineas Fletcher. Although he shows skill and charm in style of various kinds of verse, his name rests chiefly upon his largest work, Britannia's Pastorals. This is much wider in scope than the title suggests if one follows the definition given by Pope in his Discourse on Pastoral Poetry. He says, A pastoral is an imitation of the action of a shepherd or one considered under that character. The form of this imitation is dramatic, or narrated, or mixed of both. The fable simple, the manners not too polite nor too rustic, the thoughts are plain, yet admit a little quickness and passion. If we would copy nature, it must be useful to take this idea along with us, that pastoral is an image of what they call the golden age, so that we are not to describe our shepherds as shepherds at this day really are, but as they may be conceived then to have been, when the best of men followed the employment. We must therefore use some allusion to render a pastoral delightful, and this consists in exposing the best side only of a shepherd's life, and in concealing its miseries. In his Shepherd's Pipe, a series of Ecluges, Brown follows this plan, but Britannia's pastorals contain rambling stories of hamadryads and oreads, figures which are too shadowy to seem real, yet stand in exquisite woodland landscapes. When the story passes to the yellow sands and firth-girt rocks, washed by the crisp and curling waves from Neptune's silver ever-shaking breast, or when it touches the mysteries of the ocean world over which Thetis drives her silver throne, the poet's fancy is as delicate as when he reveals in the earthy smell of the woods where the leaves, golden and green, hide from sight the feathered choir, where glow the hips of scarlet berries, where is heard the dropping of nuts, and where the active, bright-eyed squirrels leap from tree to tree. The loves, hardships, and adventures of Marina, Celadine, Redmond, Fida, Philosal, Alethea, Mentonia, and Amintus do not hold the reader from delight in descriptions of the blackbird and dove calling from the dewy branches. Crystal streams lisping through banks purple with violets, rosy with aglantine, or sweet and wild thyme, thickets where the rabbits hide, sequestered nooks on which the elms and alders throw long shadows. Circles of green grass made by dancing elves, rounded hills shut in by oaks, pines, birches, and laurel, where shepherds pipe on oaten straws or shag-haired setters frolic and sleep. Meadows, whose carpets of cowslip and mint are freshened daily by nymphs pouring out gentle streams from crystal urns. Every now and then huntsmen in green dash through his sombre woods with their hounds in full cry. Anglers are seated by still pools. Shepherds dance around the maypole, and the shepherdesses gather flowers for garlands. Gloomy caves appear, surrounded by hawthorn and holly that outdares cold winter's ire, and sheltering old hermits, skilled in simples, 
and the secret power of herbs sometimes the poet describes a choir where the tiny wren sings the treble robin redbreast the mean the thrush the tenor and the nightingale the countertenor while droning bees fill in the bass and shows us fairy haunts and customs with a delicacy only equalled by drayton and herrick several lyric songs of high order are scattered through the pastorals and the famous palinode on man is embedded in the third book as follows i truly know how men are born and whither they shall go i know that like to silkworms of one year or like a kind and wronged lover's tear or on the pathless waves a rudder's dint or like the little sparks of a flint or like to thin round cakes with cost perfumed or fireworks only made to be consumed i know that such is man and all that trust in that weak piece of animated dust the silkworm droops the lover's tears soon shed the ship's way quickly lost the sparkle dead the cake burns out in haste the fireworks done and man as soon as these as quickly gone little is known of brown's life he was a native of tavistock devonshire born it is thought in fifteen ninety one the son of thomas brown who is supposed by prince and his worthies of devon to have belonged to a knightly family according to wood who says he had a great mind in a little body he was sent to exeter college oxford about the beginning of the reign of james i leaving oxford without a degree he was admitted in sixteen twelve to the inner temple london and a little later he is discovered at oxford engaged as private tutor to robert dormer afterward earl of carnarvon in sixteen twenty four he received his degree of master of arts from oxford he appears to have settled in dorking and after sixteen forty nothing more is heard of him wood thinks he died in sixteen forty five but there is an entry in the tavistock register dated march twenty seventh sixteen forty three and reading william brown was buried on that day that he was devoted to the streams dales and downs of his native devonshire is shown in the pastorals where he sings hail thou my native soil thou blessed plot whose equal all the world affordeth not show me who can so many crystal rills such sweet-clothed valleys or aspiring hills such wood-ground pastures quarries wealthy mines such rocks in whom the diamond fairy shines and in another place he says and tavy in my rhymes challenge adieu let it thy glory be that famous drake and i were born by thee the first book of Britannia's pastorals was written before its author was twenty and was published in sixteen thirty one the second book appeared in sixteen sixteen and both were reprinted in sixteen twenty five the third book was not published during brown's life the shepherd's pipe was published in sixteen fourteen and the inner temple mask written on the story of ulysses and circe for representation in sixteen fourteen was first published in thomas davies edition of brown's work three volumes seventeen seventy two two critical editions of value have been brought out in recent years one by w carew hazlitt london eighteen sixty eight to sixty nine and the other by gordon goodwin and a h bullen eighteen ninety four in the third song of the second book says mr bullen in his preface there is a description of a delightful grove perfumed with odiferous buds and herbs of price where fruits hang in gallant clusters from the trees and birds tune their notes to the music of running water 
so fair a pleasance that you are fain where you last walked to turn and walk again a generous reader might apply that description to brown's poetry he might urge that breezes which blew down these leafy alleys and over those trim parterres were not more grateful than the fragrance exhaled from the pastorals that the brooks and burbs babble and twitter in the printed pages not less blithely than in that western paradise what so pleasant as to read of may games true love knots and shepherds piping in the shade of pixies and fairy circles of rustic bridles and junketings of angling hunting the squirrel nut gathering of such subjects william brown treats singing like the shepherd in the arcadia as though he would never grow old he was a happy poet it was his good fortune to grow up among wholesome surroundings whose gracious influences sank into his spirit he loved the hills and dales round tavistock and lovingly described them in his verse frequently he indulges in descriptions of sunrise and sunset they leave no vivid impression but charm the reader by their quiet beauty it cannot be denied that his fondness for simple homely images sometimes led him to sheer fatuity and candid admirers must also admit that despite his study of simplicity he could not refrain from hunting as the manner was after far-fetched outrageous conceits brown is a poet's poet drayton wither herbert and john davies of hereford wrote his praises mrs browning includes him in her vision of poets where she says drayton and brown with smiles they drew from outward nature still kept new from their own inward nature true milton studied him carefully and just as his influence is perceived in the works of keats so it is found in comus and lycidas brown acknowledges spencer and sidney as his masters and his work shows that he loved chaucer and shakespeare circe's charm song from the inner temple mask son of erebus and night high away and aim thy flight where consort none other fowl than the bat and sullen owl where upon thy limber grass poppy and mandragoras with like simples not a few hang for ever drops of dew where flows lethe without coil softly like a stream of oil hie thee hither gentle sleep with this greek no longer keep thrice i charge thee by my wand thrice with molly from my hand do i touch ulysses eyes and with the jaspis then arise sagest greek the hunted squirrel from britannia's pastorals then as a nimble squirrel from the wood ranging the hedges for his filbert food sits pertly on a bough his brown nuts cracking and from the shell the sweet white kernel taking till with their crooks and bags a sort of boys to share with him come with so great a noise that he is forced to leave a nut nigh broke and for his life leap to a neighbor oak thence to a beech thence to a row of ashes whilst through the quagmires and red water plashes the boys run dabbling through thick and thin one tears his hose another breaks his shin this torn and tattered hath with much ado got by the briars that hath lost his shoe this drops his band that headlong falls for haste another cries behind for being last 
with sticks and stones and many a sounding hula the little fool with no small sport they follow whilst he from tree to tree from spray to spray gets to the woods and hides him in his dray as careful merchants do expecting stand from Britannia's pastorals as careful merchants do expecting stand after long time and merry gales of wind upon the place where their brave ships must land so wait i for the vessel of my mind upon a great adventure it is bound whose safe return will valued be at more than all the wealthy prizes which have crowned the golden wishes of an age before out of the east jewels of worth she brings the unvalued diamond of her sparkling eye wants in the treasures of all europe's kings and were it mine they nor their crowns should buy the sapphires ringed on her panting breast run as rich veins of ore about the mould and are in sickness with a pale possessed so true for them i should disvalue gold the melting rubies on her cherry lip are of such power to hold that as one day cupid flew thirsty by he stopped to sip and fastened there could never get away the sweets of candy are no sweets to me where hers i taste nor the perfumes of price robbed from the happy shrubs of araby as her sweet breath so powerful to entice oh hasten then if thou be not gone unto that wicked traffic through the main my powerful sigh shall quickly drive thee on and then begin to draw thee back again if in the mean rude waves have it oppressed it shall suffice i ventured at the best song of the sirens from the inner temple mask steer hither steer your winged pines all beaten mariners here lie love's undiscovered mines a prey to passengers perfumes far sweeter than the best which make the phoenix's urn and nest fear not your ships nor any to oppose you save our lips but come on shore where no joy dies till love hath gotten more for swelling waves are panting breasts where never storms arise exchange and be awhile our guests for stars gaze on our eyes the compass love shall hourly sing and as he goes about the ring we will not miss to tell each point he nameth with a kiss then come on shore where no joy dies till love hath gotten more an epistle on parting from epistles dear soul the time is come and we must part yet ere i go in these lines read my heart a heart so just so loving and so true so full of sorrow and so full of you that all i speak or write or pray or mean and which is all i can all that i dream is not without a sigh a thought of you and as your beauties are so they are true seven summers now are fully spent and gone since first i loved loved you and you alone and should mine eyes as many hundreds see yet none but you should claim a right in me a right so placed that time shall never hear of one so vowed or any loved so dear when i am gone 
if ever prayers moved you relate to none that i so well have loved you for all that know your beauty and desert would swear he never loved that knew to part why part we then that spring which but this day met some sweet river in his bed can play and with dimpled cheeks smile at their bliss who never know what separation is the amorous vine with wanton interlaces clips still rough the elm in her kind embraces doves with their doves sit billing in the groves and woo the lesser birds to sing their loves whilst hapless we in griefful absence sit yet dare not ask a hand to lessen it sonnets to celia fairest when by the rules of psalmistry you took my hand to try if you could guess by lines therein if any weight there be ordained to make me know some happiness i wished that those characters could explain whom i will never wrong with hope to win or that by them a copy might be ta'en by you alone what thoughts i have within but since the hand of nature did not set as providently loath to have it known the means to find that hidden alphabet mine eyes shall be the interpreters alone by them conceive my thoughts and tell me fair if now you see her that doth love me there which not for you here should my pen have rest and take a long leave of sweet posy britannia's swains and rivers far by west should hear no more my oaten melody yet shall the song i sung of them a while unperfect lie and make no further known the happy loves of this our pleasant isle till i have left some record of mine own you are the subject now and writing you i well may versify not poetize here needs no fiction for the grace is true and virtues clip not with base flatteries here should i write what you deserve of praise others might wear but i should win the bays fairest when i am gone as now the glass of time is marked how long i have to stay let me entreat you ere from hence i pass perhaps from you for ever more away think that no common love hath fired my breast no base desire but virtue truly known which i may love and wish to have possessed were you the highest and fairest of any one tis not your lovely eye enforcing flames nor a beauteous red beneath a snowy skin that so much binds me yours or makes your fames as the pure light and beauty shrined within yet outward parts i must affect of duty as for the smell we like the rose's beauty end of section twenty four